Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you've had a fantastic week. And I mean fantastic. And I hope you are looking for a nice weekend ahead. I have been uh, buried in uh, God's Word the last week. And I tell you, I've been getting up at 4 in the morning because I, and 2.30 one day, just because I, I can't stop studying right now. For some reason, God has nudged me in a place where I am so hungry, I can't sit still. And I'm praying that I continue to uh, grow and and I can uh, learn what God wants me to learn right now. So it's been an interesting time of life, and I'm looking forward to trying to sleep past four tomorrow. But the bottom line, once you engage with the Word of God and you, like it says in Jeremiah, I found your words and I ate them. It became the joy and rejoicing of my life. And that's the case. I love it. I hope you love it, too. And I thank you for coming to the show, because I think this is where you will be encouraged and nurtured. I've got the best guests in the world. I've got Todd Mulliken in studio today. He's got his new book called Being Right Versus Being Liked, The Impact of Narcissism and Codependency on Couples and Families. We're going to spend the whole hour chatting about this. And the lines are going to be open, the text line or the email, 877-933-2484 if you have a question. Maybe you've been in that place. Maybe you are in that place where you want to be uh, liked or you want to be right. And we'll talk about that, and then we'll have plenty of opportunity for you to ask questions. Again, 877-933-2484. Or you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll get things started in 60 seconds. November is Thanksgiving month, but it should be more than just a day in the calendar. I'm Neil Stave, a manager of Faith Radio. You know, someone has said giving thanks is a course from which we never graduate. With that in mind, I'd like to say again how grateful we are for your support and partnership in this growing ministry. Because of your gifts, the gospel goes out, God's Word is taught, and lives are changed. So thanks to all of you who keep Faith Radio going and growing. And if you've yet to join our support team, you can start today at MyFaithRadio.com. If you eat loads of pumpkin pie every day, you might be a bit heavier. If you watch three football games every day, your eyes would grow weaker. If you travel to see family every day, your wallet would be lighter. But if you give thanks every day, well, life would be a lot brighter. As you listen to Faith Radio this season, we hope you can focus on the most important things every day and be filled with gratitude. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Welcome to Friday. I'm looking forward to the show today. Todd Mulliken's in studio. And you can go to Todd Mulliken, that's M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N.com to learn more about Todd. So, Todd, you're a regular guest on the show. Welcome back. Nice Thank to have you, here. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. What a great day today. Oh, it is fantastic. Yeah. And congrats on your new book. Oh, thanks. Being Appreciate Right it. Versus Being Liked. Hmm. hmm. Which, which one are you? Do you want to be right or do you want to be liked? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, yeah, okay. No. <laughs> 
That wraps up our show for the day. Thanks for joining us today, Todd. We'll be playing 43 minutes of bumper music. Oh, gosh. Oh, I'm a work in progress. Yeah. I think I started as a firstborn who thought he had all the answers as okay. being right, and now I'm evolving into trying to get to that grace mm-hmm. side of Jesus more. So so let's uh, just looking at the back cover of your book, just to get yeah. things started, do you like to win every disagreement with your spouse or partner? Do you tend to avoid conflicts with your family? Do you tend to build resentments or release them? Do you tend to adjust what you say to your significant other based on how you think they will respond. Let's start there. Mm. The last one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the one I want to start with. Oh, well, it makes a person vulnerable to erring on the side of codependency because they're more defined by what others are thinking and feeling. So, But isn't that a crazy nonsense to think that I'm going to try to craft an, uh, something to say to produce a certain response? Right. Okay. Yeah. It's not healthy, but it's very common. Even when we get into the Word and start looking at those areas that, you know, turn the other cheek and before others, and, you know, God calls us to be empathetic and understanding and grace-based and Mm -hmm. grace upon grace, right? So if somebody has a tendency to walk that way and lean into those scriptures, then they could be vulnerable to take that to a place where they're too defined by what the other person is thinking and then they don't know enough about their, you know, their own convictions and what God feels about them and how they are loved by God and lead out from that place of integrity and mercy versus being defined by what others think of them. Mm-hmm. So it's, and then they start getting anxious that, you know, because there are people in the world that just, you know, are narcissistic or are very demanding or who are, you know, folks that really battle themselves mm-hmm. with life. And so... Sometimes a person who's vulnerable to grace gets around that kind of person and they're spending their whole life trying to make that person Mm -hmm. happy, if that makes sense. It does. Can you heal from narcissism or is that a big, big problem the rest of your life? Well, most mental health issues are on a continuum. Okay. So I think it's really important it's not one size fits all. Okay. So somebody could be mildly controlling. Somebody could have one symptom of the narcissistic personality disorder. There's nine symptoms. Someone could have one symptom or a couple Mm -hmm. and be fairly open to recognizing, oh my goodness, look at, you know, what's happening here. And, you know, God hits them over the head with a two by four and they realize, oh, God's God, I'm not. And now we're looking in the mirror a little bit. Mm -hmm. But if somebody has, you know, most of those symptoms, then they're not even aware that they do. They're coming from being bullied growing up. So now they're bullying everybody and they always have to be right. Or they always got what they wanted all the time. And so they're you know, they're a Pharisee on steroids, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So yeah. So those folks usually aren't looking in the mirror. They're pointing the finger. They're throwing stones. They're not the first one to to leave and say, hey, I, I can't throw stones. I got my own sin. They're busy throwing the stones. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to this question, Todd, and I'm going to ask our listeners as well. Do you tend to adjust what you say to your significant other based on how you think they will respond? Is a person doing that for self-preservation? Right. Is to, that a control freak? To, to, well, well, could be if they're they're controlling the process by wanting to avoid the conflict. So if their spouse happens to be a little bit more temperamental than they are, you know, a little bit more, uh, you know, expressive, you know, they're expressively processing everything, great things, difficult things. And this person is just trying to, who's 
more even keel kind of person. They'll be really, oh, I do not want to engage in any of this. All conflicts are of Satan. Everything's bad if we have any conflict. So I'm going to do everything I can to avoid that. So I've got to think ahead. And, you know, so that that makes the person very vulnerable to anxiety and worry and what if thinking. Mm-hmm. I want to touch a little bit, uh, do a little bit of, of a refresher course on narcissism. I know we've talked about this in the past, but I think it, it's important to refresh a little bit just to set the stage for the book okay. as well. So um, let's talk about, you know, what it is and what it's not. Sure. There's nine symptoms. There's not 430 like we think well, these days. Good. And I just going to throw this out real quick is that I think what I see an awful lot now is that if uh, if I'm in pain, then it for sure means my spouse is a narcissist. Okay, there. Say that again. Or like if I'm struggling then and I'm in a real blame orientation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way where that person's a narcissist. Now, sometimes the truth is they are a narcissist and then we really have to set boundaries and um, you know, get self-protective and draw from the Lord and good friends to help us navigate the waters. But in some cases, it's just our own in our own stuff that we're just projecting on the other person. So I, I'm throwing it out there ahead of time because I think we are overusing the word a lot now. So mm-hmm. nine symptoms real quick, um, but a lot of them are outward kinds of symptoms. So the first one is they expect to be acknowledged for things greater than they do. So they're embellishing. They're mm-hmm. always saying they did things when they really didn't. They're just wanting to be acknowledged for things that aren't really going on. The second is they're preoccupied with always having fantasies of power, success, brilliance, beauty, ideal love. So there's, a, again, a real uh, preoccupation with all of those things. We can talk about all of that for a whole hour. Uh, the third is they, they believe they're special. You know, nobody else really understands, you know, the truth except mm-hmm. me, you know. And so they come off in a way that's condescending and arrogant and haughty. So do special people want to hang with other special people? They do. They want to name drop, and we all name drop a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But, yeah, they're regularly doing that. And they really kind of are looking down at folks that just don't get it. Uh, the fourth is they have an excessive need to be admired, so their capacity to love is not as great as their need to be loved and acknowledged. Mm-hmm. So when you're living in that, you know, you're just one mild disagreement away from somebody really just, you know, overreacting. Uh, The fifth is a sense of entitlement. So they expect automatic compliance Mm -hmm. to their wishes and expect extra favorable treatment. So narcissists... They almost demand it, don't they? Right. They don't make requests. They make demands. Yeah. There's not interaction. There's interrogation. Yeah. Uh, The sixth is they will exploit people. Doesn't mean mean a mild narcissist or somebody that's mildly controlling is waking up saying, who am I going to exploit today? But... At the end of the day, they'll, they want what they want when they want it. Yeah, so maybe instead of exploitation, it's who can I take advantage of today. Right. Or I will take advantage. Uh, if I need on, to. If I need to. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's my attitude. Yep. And the seventh is a, an unwillingness or a lack of ability to empathize, and that's the crusher. I mean, that's the one that when you're you know, in the dance of life with somebody, uh, it's, and they really battle empathy, mm-hmm. that's really hard. So they uh, have a lack of capacity for it and not acknowledge it mm-hmm. or think there's a need for it. What about just the discomfort people have with certain messy emotions? Tell me more what you're thinking. Well, I, um, I was just trying to think of someone that might not be empathetic. Mm-hmm. So I say to you, um, let's see, um, 
Yeah, my cabin burned down last weekend. And you go, well, less yard work to do. So anyway, did you see the Vikings <laughs> last weekend? <laughs> yeah. Going, so that... Hey, wait, 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 wait. My family cabin of 100 years mm. burned. That's not true. I just made that up. But, right. But it's like, how about a little empathy? Yeah. What a yep. jerk. Right. And, they, yeah. and, and that first one talks about, they always bring it back to themselves. Always. So you talk about the cabin, and they'll just bring it right back to themselves, and then yeah. whoop, off to something else. Yeah. So there's just a lack of willingness or understanding. Uh, number eight, real quick, is they are jealous of others, but they think others are jealous of them. So they think that a lot. And then the ninth symptom summarizes that they have an arrogant and haughty attitude. Mm-hmm. But so that's the narcissistic personality disorder. Somebody has to at least have five of those nine to have that disorder. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to take a little break. If you are, if this is uh, touching uh, you where it hurts or you're, you're feeling like some of your buttons are getting pushed or you're living with someone who you go, ooh, I think I'm living with a narcissist or I'm in a relationship with one, if you have a question, let us know, 877-933-2484, 877-93-FAITH. Certainly, we can ask your question anonymously. And I have eight copies of Todd's book to uh, give away. So if you uh, email me, bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. Make sure you uh, put your name and address because we'll do the drawing after the show and we'll decide who wins. Just in the subject line, put being right, being right. And then we'll know that that's the book you want. We'll take a short break and be right back. Back to the show. Todd Mullican is in studio. His book we're chatting about is brand new. It's called Being Right Versus Being Liked. And during the break, we heard a pretty interesting question from Miss Rebecca. Would you like to repeat that question? Sure, because I don't know when my next interesting question will crop up. That's true. You might as well jump on it now. (laughs) I'll do it now. (laughs) Um, I was wondering if there are examples of narcissism that we can point to in Scripture, or if we see some of these characteristics crop up in the way that the Bible describes certain people, because it seems like maybe we are just so focused on ourselves more that that maybe this is a 21st century highlight for us that we're all concerned about being narcissistic because there's more opportunities for that. But maybe this is a much longer standing problem than we realize. Yeah, great question. Uh, I, my thought is I think it's been, to answer it, Todd. <laughs> it's, I think it's been around since the beginning of the time, you know, because the first way it came out was this person that is looking in the water and all they see is themselves and they just are infatuated with that. That's the origin of the, of the word. But, uh, you know, I, again, and maybe I'm completely wrong in this, but I think Jesus got most frustrated with a certain group of people that kind of, you know, thought they were all that and kind of were not really coachable or amenable or... It was always somebody else's fault. Yeah. They, they were, were too good, just too throwing cool stones. They were... <laughs> <laughs> right. Too cool for school might be a 21st century thing, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's been around. That's just my own take on it. Yeah, but, and, I, and I'm glad we're framing it mm-hmm. in a way that's healthy. And, it, and we haven't changed much about it if you look at how this, uh, the, the field of psychology views it. Uh, but I think now in pop culture world, we're kind of really expanding it to mean a lot more than the nine symptoms. But that's just my own perspective on it. Yes, Todd, when when you look back at your high school album, 
do you have mm. a few pictures or a ton of pictures? I mean, I think there's, you know, a handful of pictures from my high school, right? Right. And now on any given weekend, a kid can produce 400 pictures mm. from their weekend mm. and have everyone up on social media and have analysis to every one of them. And at a certain point, do you go, how much are you time are you spending kind of admiring yourself? Yeah. yeah. What you like, what you don't. Right. And then again, if you have a an awareness or a conviction then you're probably going, oh, that's enough of that. Let me ask the other person how they feel. Let me come in with some grace, some understanding, because mm-hmm. I've received grace, I've received mercy from Christ. How am I giving that towards others? So when we talk about narcissism and codependency, is that peanut butter and jelly? Those usually go together? Yeah, I mean, they usually are. You know, the person that's codependent that I write about in the book is more avoiding conflict, knows others every, really well, but doesn't know self. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're too defined by what others think. They're pacifying to avoid their... What if they know themselves and they, and they think, I don't like conflict? It <laughs> <laughs> could be just that. And again, that's why I say in the book over and over and over and over again that this is a continuum. Yeah, right. So most of the people in that book or in that squishy middle like we all are where, you know, somebody's a little bit more of a tendency to be a truth teller. The other person is a little bit more of a tendency to just want harmony at all costs. So most people are right there and they have got a symptom or two that, but so the book talks about the evolution of that kind of couple and just what I've seen over the years and years and years of counseling, like we've got to figure out early on the pleaser type needs to learn out early on how to just have a voice and express their feelings and not build resentments, but just be okay with difficult conversations and, you know, just the hard stuff of life and not avoid that. And then the more direct person needs to be grateful that they are direct, but try to be direct in a way that's more empathetic and more understanding. So, but oftentimes what the book talks about is early on in the relationship that doesn't happen. Usually the directive person just gets more directive and the passive person gets more passive. And that's where, and then the book talks about, hey, what eventually happens to that kind of couple if they don't figure that out early? And usually what happens is the pressure comes to the codependent or the pleaser at halftime and they kind of hit a wall. They either kind of give up and give in for the rest of their life and Ooh, say... That's not a healthy choice, is no. it? No. And I saw that a lot more when I first started counseling late 80s through, you know, the end of the 90s. But now the second one I see more where they hit a wall and they have a midlife crisis. You know, they either drink like a fish or they have an affair or they just kind of, you know, out of nowhere, just divorce out of nowhere and then just have a lot of anger the rest of their life. Mm, Uh, Or the third thing is what I'm hopeful for, and that is the pleaser makes some adjustments and and starts asserting who they are, and then the mildly controlling person says, oh, well, thanks for letting me know that, and I've got to work on my stuff, and we have, you know, maybe it's a little worse before it gets better, but the pleaser ain't going back to the old patterns of avoidance. So the book talks about lots of stories about what how couples are choosing to handle that. And then the book talks, I think, even most importantly about the impact that has on the children. Because oftentimes what happens is the children, like oftentimes the firstborn, if they have a narcissistic parent in the home, they bump up against that person and either get in their grill all the time and become a very rebellious child or they just overly comply to just, oof, so we don't have any issues. And so that's hard. And so oftentimes what happens to kids that come out of that framework 
is they're vulnerable to becoming one of the other as well. So then the book, yay, talks about antidotes, you know, what the narcissist or the, the mildly controlling person, wherever the person is on the continuum, can do to heal and to become, you know, have that good mix of truth and grace that Jesus asks of us and lived out himself. And for the pleaser to work on their antidotes, too, of releasing resentments, of being more honest, of asserting who they are. And if they do that, then we got a lot of wins. And then the book talks about the antidotes for the kids, because I see a lot of 20-somethings that grew up in that system, and now they're in a romantic relationship and going, oh, my gosh, I'm doing exactly what my parents did. And sometimes that's great news, but sometimes it's not so good So good news. So, mm-hmm. so really, Todd, being... Um being right or being liked are two unhealthy options, aren't they? Right. Yep. And I wonder how many people really like being right, or at least right every once in a while. Well, sure. Is there nothing wrong with that? Is no, there? there's nothing wrong with being right. But my view, it's my perspective, is that if you're strong with your view and really convicted in it and passionate about it, you still get to do that well, <laughs> you know. You don't have to come with a sledgehammer because why do you need to come with a sledgehammer? You know, you're supposed to be come forward with come let us reason together, as it says, you know. So if I'm content and confident versus arrogant or insecure, then I'm going to be passionate about my view, but say, but hey, how do you see it? Let's have a conversation. Let's, And that's what the book talks about at the end, the dance that the couple can have. They can be mutually vulnerable. Last time on, on I talked about couples need to let each other in versus take things out on each other. And that's what happens a lot. The person that wants to be right takes things out by just, you know, overreactions. The person that wants to be liked takes things out by being avoidant or giving the silent treatment mm-hmm. or just building resentment. So Say that back up just a little bit because <laughs> what you said was so profound, and I want to make sure it gets repeated, that the old uh, method is excluding each other and the new one is letting each other in. How, yeah. how did you say that? Let each other in versus take things out yes, on each other. So, of, yeah, don't take things out on each other. No, so, hey, honey, I'm in. yesterday when this happened, I was just really frustrated by what you said, and I'm just having a hard time with that, so I'm just trying to let you in. That's vers- versus, oh, I'm not going to bring up, doesn't matter what I say anyway. Or, you know what, hey, what you know. What if that's true? What, what's that? What if that's true? That doesn't matter what I say anyway, yeah. then you can say that. Sweetie, I'm feeling overwhelmed because when I asked you about it last week, I felt interrogated and I'm just really sad, but how do you see it? So that's the best I can do because the book at the end talks about we're going to both, not one of us, not one go to counseling forever and the other person says I'm perfect. No, they, <laughs> they, they both look in the mirror. It doesn't mean you need to be in counseling forever, yeah, right. you know, but just, you know, work it out together, whatever you need to do. But we're going to be mutually vulnerable and then the second thing is we're going to accept each other's differences. Because mm-hmm. most of the time, most of marriages try to change the other person to become like themselves. Yeah, there's some paradigm shifts that have to happen, right? Right. right. All right, let me take a little break. Uh, Todd Mullikins in studio. We're chatting about his new book, Being Right Versus Being Liked, The Impact of Narcissism and Codependency on Couples and Families. You can uh, be one of the winners. We've got eight copies of the book to give away. Email me, Bill, at MyFaithRadio.com. Just type in the subject line, Being Right. And then make sure you include your name and address because we'll do the drawing tonight and then we'll get the books on their way to you, to the winners. We'll take a short break and be back. Let us know if you have questions. 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back.
Thanks for being with me today. Awfully glad to have Todd Mulligan in the studio. And I have to say, we were laughing during the break because of how smart our guests are and our listeners. Um, I've got a great uh, comment from a listener named Rebecca. She said, as I've been studying the book of Esther with commentaries, I've been thinking that it really seemed like Haman was a narcissist. He was infuriated by Mordecai's unwillingness to admire him and dreamed of power and admiration from the king in ways that seemed extreme. Oh. Bingo. She knocked it out. Yeah. Perfect. Rebecca, you'll be getting a copy of Todd's book. <laughs> Just include your address in your email. I think she has. Wait, no, she hasn't. So, Rebecca, make sure you uh, write back with your address. Cool. All right, now let's uh, get back into this uh, lively discussion about uh, being right versus being liked. And... Todd, would you say when people come into your counseling office, that is one of the principal places you start is who's right and who's wrong? Mm. Is that seems to be the the, uh, the genesis of why we have so much trouble? It's just a pattern I've seen. So most people come in, if there isn't an affair going on, it's usually communication struggles, you know, or having communication problems. And that, that's code for we just are having a horrible time in conflicts. And what I usually see, and once in a while I see two very strong people that both want to be right, and that's interesting. Very rarely do you see two people who just want to be liked because they don't make a decision to come into counseling, you know? Mm-hmm. Hey, honey, what, what, do you, what do you think we should go? Well, I don't know if we should go. What do you think? Well, I'm not sure. Do you, would you like to go? I mean, just back and forth, a lot of indecisiveness, too. Right. So, and what happens in those stories, usually one person gets a little more assertive and starts driving things a little bit, which can be fine or not so good. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it's just a common pattern that opposites attract, right? And so usually in that that journey of opposites, you usually see one person that's a little bit more direct and wants to be right. And oftentimes that other person is more pleaser-based and just is doing things so they can be liked. And that's the pattern. So what I've noticed over the years is, especially when I'm doing pre-marriage counseling, I love to just talk about that if I see it. So you're giving people stuff early on to make mid-game adju- early-game yeah. adjustments. Isn't that when everyone is trying to please, though? Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, look look what he did. Look what she did. So cute. Well, what are your issues? Well, we don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, now let's fast forward. And we've been married for a while, and now you're um, they're back in the office, and they're trying to improve their relationship, hmm. and there must be some antidotes, huh? Yeah. I mean, that's the good news is that they can move forward with growth. I mean, the what's really powerful is when the person that's a little bit more controlling or mildly narcissistic, if you will, they when they really look in, when something just hits them, it could be a worship service, it could be just a hard talk with their with their partner, or it could be like a um, an adult child who is really coming forth with, I've been so hurt by things that have been going on, and I haven't been able to say it, and I'm really struggling in my relationship with you. So sometimes they get a knock over the head, and then they're more at that step one, if you will, where, hey, maybe... I am powerless over this. Maybe I need to get help for this. Mm-hmm. And then they work on attachments with others. They work on I, the, the antidotes I talk about is pursuing healthy attachments like they hopefully have with their Heavenly Father. How are they coming forward towards others with mercy and grace and understanding and being for others? So I have them just start to do that you know, on a week-to-week basis to just increase the value of being for others and how to lead out with humility 
and again, if they're severely narcissistic with truckloads of trauma, you don't go there yet. You have mm-hmm. to unpack the trauma. You have to get into the root causes. But for somebody who is on the mild end of the continuum, that's where I go early is the antidote. So they start seeing some progress and start to make some changes that help the couple get better. Mm-hmm. And then the antidotes for the codependent are more, or the mild pleaser base, whatever end of the continuum you're on there, is more about, like I mentioned earlier, being truthful, uh, being assertive, finding your voice, not building resentments and letting go of resentments. And that's really difficult. As hard it is for the direct person to become more interactive, it's just as hard for that avoidant person to lean in. Mm-hmm. So both have struggles. You know, when I teach on emotions, I talk uh, as a professor, I talk about there's some people with just, you're born with low arousal, where, you know, if you're a low arousal person, Bill, I could say, hey, Bill, your house is on fire. And you go, yeah. There's well, got to be a number. Yeah. Nine and one something. Yeah. You call. Uh, yeah. What are we going to do? You know, yeah. well, you know, appreciate you letting me know. Right. Yeah, a high arousal person, you know, you could have a hangnail and they're hanging right. from the chandelier. Right. Yeah. So just very different physiological responses. Sure. So that's, what that's if. A, that's a trained response, isn't it? That's just what's right sort of, out of the womb. They Ooh. sort of watched what happened in their house, too, well, right? Both. Yes, to okay. both. It could be just genetic, though. Okay. They come out that way. Okay. You know, does that make sense? And then, oh, yeah. then based on the environment and its toxicity or low toxicity, then. But I guess what I'm trying to say is even if it's a really healthy home, you could have somebody that is direct and really like, you know, just more, you know, more intense, more, more, more direct like that, just most of the time. Mm-hmm. And they could have a low arousal spouse that says, you know, bring it down a notch, will mm-hmm. you? And this direct person is going to think this low arousal person doesn't know their feelings, they're inadequate, they, you know, they, their upbringing, they were shamed all the time, and that may or may not be true. And in the same way, the low arousal person needs to realize, hey, if a person's, you know, Jesus wasn't just like this always like, you know, you are whitewashed tombs and, you know, you brood of vipers. You know, I mean, you got expressive, right? There's emotion there. There's emotion there. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes we get really judgy with our partner if they're just different that way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And of course we have extremes. You know, people are using silent treatment to punish. That's unacceptable. People are verbally abusive and interrogative and, and cause intimidation. Completely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. But there's also that, you know, that middle part that's adaptive and understandable. We just have those different styles of how we communicate. So we need to let each other in on that and know that we're for each other in Christ, even on our worst days. And let's just let's just try to talk about that in a more loving way. And the only way I've seen it work, Bill, is if people do those three antidotes at the end, where they they try to be more interactive versus interrogative. They really, you know, like my spouse and I worked really hard early on. Um, I'm an extrovert; she's an introvert, and so instead of trying to change each other, we learned how to love each other in that difference. You know, because early on we thought, oh, my word, what's going on here, right? But until then we were, at least I was, more judgy of her of her inter- introspection. And, you know, and then we also dealt with conflicts, how we handle conflicts differently and how we grew up in different ways. But we were committed to just owning our own side of the street when we're in conflict. So when we come back, we come back with mercy versus I'm right and you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. So if you don't come back that way as a couple 
and really try to own your own side of the street, then you're really vulnerable to resentment building, growing apart. So that's why I'm really for those antidotes that the book talks about. Mm-hmm. So if there's truth-telling that needs to happen and a person is uh, nervous about doing it, is mm-hmm. it important to set healthy boundaries if the woman thinks, hmm, the only time I have his attention is in the three-minute commercial before the game starts, <laughs> that's when I need to bark it out. That's yeah. not good, right? Right. I mean, do you have to at least negotiate a time where you say, I would like to uh, get some time to talk privately and maybe we should go for a walk or do something where... The, the table has been set. Is that a healthy boundary? That's a great or boundary. Or am I speaking nuts? No, you're speaking right on. And ideally, they are doing what I call these kind of Sunday gatherings for half an hour where they look at the week and they look what's coming. So they're more proactive versus reactive. So that mean we're planning everything to the, to the nail because life happens, kids happen, and, you know, just stuff happens. But we're for the idea of having, you know, you know, a difficult or a delicate conversation, you know, more in these times than in the middle of a Hallmark movie or before a game yeah. starts. And is there a big opportunity for um, um, backlash if the person says, I would like to find a place to have a discussion about something Would the person who's more controlling and more narcissistic say, well, what do you mean? Let's just have it now. What about right now? They could you get know. demanding. Yeah. yeah. Or they could go, well, you know, I you know, look in your own mirror and get back to me, or here we go again, or something very like um, a reaction from their own place of anything from always being right to a lot of shame, you know. So that's, so again, we're trying to listen to understand. We're trying to have a mutual vulnerable. Cal, even it was interesting, in my intro to psych disorders class, there's hard evidence about how married couples that have a lot of hostility it affects their immune system functioning. It affects their life expectancy. It's not a good thing. So having conflicts that are reasonably managed helps not only, you know, just in our faith life, but in our health as well. Mm-hmm. Todd, talk about resentments, and do you tend to build resentments or release them? How good are people at releasing resentments and really releasing them and not having them show up again? As a, as a ninja Death Star somewhere down the road. In my experience, the pleaser really battles that. Okay. So 12 years ago on a Tuesday, they had a conversation where, that, you know, that didn't go well, and they, they start a resentment bank, and mm-hmm. they put some money in there. And the money's building, by the yeah, way. Yeah, interest is Gaining interest. Even, mm-hmm. it's not, so it's probably a resentment mutual fund, actually, not a bank. But anyway, and it's, it's growing, right? Yeah. And so then what happens is the pleaser starts running out of gas and they have all these resentments and they build those instead of release those every day. Instead of saying, well, you know, that's on me 12 years ago on a Tuesday. I didn't bring up my voice and say what's on me. That's on me. That's not on them. That's on me for not saying my truth. Mm-hmm. But it's very hard to do that because the pleaser is painting themselves in the corner. Well, it doesn't matter what I say anyway. Ooh. And I'll go, well, just say it anyway. So, you know, honesty, you know, scriptures say, we, we, you know, love must be sincere. Romans 12, 9, we got to... We have to be honest, even if it doesn't go well. And if it's an abusive situation, then we're going to really know that we're going to have to get help. Uh, we're going to have to go to more of my later boundaries I talk about in the book, where there sometimes there needs to be separations. I'm not This is not one size fits all. Mm-hmm. But for the couples that are learning in their story how to have reasonable conversations, we can't avoid those. Yeah. And the pleasers got to see the value of releasing resentments. I think of Philip Yancey, remember when he wrote that book a long time ago, um, What's so amazing about grace? Mm-hmm. In that book, he said the only thing harder than forgiveness is the alternative. 
Yeah, not forgiving. Right. And resentment building is... So I think the pleasers got to see the value of that. It doesn't mean they're okay with what happened. It means they're coming to the table now with a little bit more of here's here's where I am, here's what I'm for, here's the boundaries I'm setting, but I'm not going to hold stuff against. Because yeah, that resentment can obviously grow to mm. the point where it's got its own zip code. And then, right, and then what happens is actually the pleaser becomes more vulnerable to being a need-to-be-right person in the right. second half. Yeah. They're, they're walking around with an emotional Uzi just popping people off right. emotionally because they're so angry and so traumatized by what happened. Why do we do this to each other? Right, versus, and it's, it, you know, I'm not throwing stones here. It's, no, hard, it's hard for all of us. And um, But when you mention the release resentments, it's, it's a gift to release resentments, and it's a gift to know that God... You know, as a pleaser, you get to view yourself as God views you. And you get to start leading out with authenticity. And you get to have the Holy Spirit be your advocate and your, you know, your your comfort, your guide. Even in those delicate moments, you get to do that. Mm -hmm. You get to receive that from the Spirit and to know you can be guided even in those hard conversations. Yeah. Todd Mulliken is my guest. I've got eight copies of his book. To eight lucky people will get this book. Just make sure you uh, email me, Bill, at MyFaithRadio.com. In the subject, put Being Right. And make sure you put your name and address. And if you are one of the lucky uh, ones that win today, we will get these books off to you in the mail early next week. And you'll have it in your hand by midweek, I would guess. If you have a question for Todd, we'll take that as well. 877-933-2484. The book is called Being Right versus Being Liked. The Impact of Narcissism and Codependency on Couples and Family. We'll be right back. We are talking about being right versus being liked today, the impact of narcissism and codependency on couples and families. Todd Mulliken is my guest and author of this book, and we are learning quite a bit. Um, talk about uh, this empathy issue. This is a one that I find fascinating, um, um, the relationship between a narcissist and a pleaser and where empathy fits in. Because mm-hmm. I would think the pleaser would be all about empathy. Right. And sometimes we would say... We have to know the difference between codependency and empathy, though. Codependency is coming forth with just trying to avoid conflict or needing to be liked or, you know, doing it to receive external validation, right? So their desire to be empathetic is actually coming from a place of just wanting to be validated versus, hey, you know, I just get to try to understand where this other person's coming from. So I try to work with both people when they are listening to try to listen just to understand uh, and so I think empathy, the older I get, I think it's the most powerful tool we have that really models what Christ calls us to do in difficult situations is we need to be for the idea of being empathetic. And if I always got to be the last word, Larry, or the last word, Lorraine, then I got work to do. If I'm mm-hmm. always avoiding the mess and I've got to stop avoiding and lean in more. So it's a powerful tool when it works, it, 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 it dismantles all of the, the dysregulation and all the resentment and all the pain, it brings a moment of, you know, kind of a transfiguration moment, if you will. It brings a transformative moment. And when couples have that, I really have them celebrate those moments, like Paul's asking us to do from prison. You know, think about, you know, what is noble of praise. Think on those things that are excellent. 
So those are rare moments, but when they happen, I try to have couples really rewind that highlight film where they had mutual empathy, mutual vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Talk about pursuing healthy attachments. Right. So in general, for the controller, they usually had some type of insecure attachment growing up with a, a more often the dominant parent. Mm-hmm. And so that lack of attachment, that insecure attachment means they are either going to control so they don't feel anxious or they're going to unintentionally need to be right and sometimes get bullyish because they were bullied and they never won a fight growing up. Now they're going to win every fight. So their attachment isn't healthy. And what healthy means is like we have with Jesus, where we, we know we're loved, we know we're accepted, we know we're going to get disciplined, but we go to him and then we go out and play. It's like a child has with a loving parent. You know, they, they feel secure to go in the parent's arms and know they're loved. Even if it's been a hard time, they feel secure in the fact that they're loved and they can trust that parent. And then they go out and play. So I ha- I work with people that are more controlling and sometimes pleasers on making sure they develop healthy attachments with friends. So with pleasers, I say, hey, don't try to just give, 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 give. you got to be with people that are also drawing you out a little bit in your closest friendships. You mm-hmm. know, you feel fed and, you know, give and take. Mm-hmm. And with controllers, I work with them on trying to practice empathy every day just for 15 minutes. You know, get into that and pray over it if they're a person of faith, you know, pray over it. Try to view yourself as God views you in a gentle way. Mm-hmm. A listener has asked, do you have some advice for me in dealing with the pain from a narcissistic older brother who is giving my husband and I the silent treatment for disagreeing with him and his approach toward my parents. This has been the most heartbreaking event of my life. He called me disrespectful toward him because he has to be right and greatly admired. I have apologized because I don't have a problem taking responsibility for my part but all uh, at all, but I I um, heard in return was, I'll pray for you. It's been five years since this family debacle has caused deep division, and I'm positive at this point that he is a narcissist. He has no empathy toward me, his only sister, and my 84-year-old folks who miss him and have also apologized for their mistakes. Boy, it's a profound example and unfortunately an all-too-common example. A lot of families have that type of struggle that can happen, and so... In the book, it talks about how, what you do when you are in her shoes, about how to handle that when you are actually finding a voice and being authentic and being real, and and then what can happen. And so how does she handle that? Well, she continues to be for spending time with her parents. She continues to send healthy boundaries with her brother. She has owned her side of the street. He's kind of doing the spiritualization because he's right, and he's kind of as a... You know, he's over-spiritualizing it by just throwing the stone of, you know, I'll pray for you. So there's no inward reflection there. Mm-hmm. That's what you see with narcissists. They, And the other problem with narcissistic types is whenever you disagree with them about a mild thing or a, a significant thing, they feel attacked by it. So she was just simply sharing her side of the street, and he felt attacked. That's so odd. I know, versus just... A but he has to be right, and he has to be admired. Yep. And so that's tough. And then so we usually find behind, you know, under the hood, and maybe I'm wrong in this, but oftentimes his partner, his spouse, is not confronting him on stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and or he's burned through a marriage right. and he's, you know, in a room full of mirrors. Right. And the people around him in either his church group or his whatever group are just kind of acquiescent people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That are saying, yeah, it's all your sister's fault. And they're just kind of in their cozy huddle versus... 
you know, challenging him, hey, you know, grace upon grace and, you know, you know, come reason together, you know. So instead of challenging that person, usually that type of person surrounds themselves with people that just, you know, are yes people. Mm-hmm. And so that's why there's never movement in those kind of family systems. And that's just a loss, you know, it's so sad. But I, I love her accountability. I love her humility. I love her authenticity. She, look, she's the one asking the question. You know, she's the one that's, and that's a great sign. So she's, great sign. she just needs to feel embraced by the Holy Spirit with that and feel loved by that and, but know that life can be hard. Makes me wonder about accountability, Todd, that you just mentioned that word accountability. And I think of her brother and I'm thinking of his friends that would say, hey, how are your folks doing? To which he would have to reply, I don't know, I haven't talked to him in five years. Mm-hmm. You know, when do people come alongside and, and, and sort of rub up against each other like iron sharpens iron, one man another? What's this with your not seeing your parents for five years? Well, That's and, not right. And honestly, what can happen is if there was one of those accountability people, her brother might have said, you know, later to you. you oh, know? I know that. And so then, you know, now, you know, he's just surrounded by people that go, well, you know, life's really hard and can't believe your sister's doing that and your parents are, you know, we'll pray for your parents too. You know, so that and that feels cozy and it feels squishy and it feels easy and yeah, that's that who that's who God's calling me to be with. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So then we start, you know, spiritualizing in a way that fits our story versus leans into what is really true. And that's messy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, accountability matters and you know, love must be sincere. It doesn't say love must always, you know, lead to a, a wonderful thing each time. Mm-hmm. Now with our time left, Todd, which only looks like three or four minutes, I wanna just uh go back to the end of the book, which is the new dance. And yep. so talk about the couples that um, need to let each other in versus taking things out on each other and how this process is fluid and ongoing. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Mutual vulnerability, I call it. So they're just, they're realizing that they, you know, God has called them to be together and they can be for each other in good days and bad days. And the scriptures are full of easy and difficult conversations. But I'm going to not lead out with blame. I'm going to lead out with what I'm experiencing every single time. And I don't have to do it perfect. I don't have to, you know, I, I might even say, hon, I don't really know what I'm thinking or feeling, but I'm just, you know, so glad I'm married to you. Or, you know, this was yesterday. I was really frustrated by this and I don't know what to do about it, but here's where I'm at. How about you? So that's a, so it's leading out well. It's leading out from vulnerability versus blame or avoidance. Mm-hmm. And both people are committed to that. And it might go well a bunch. It might be hard to go f- good for a while, but they're committed to that. And then their kids watch that, and that's mm. what their kids pick up in the mail, and that's where the generational shift really changes. But you have to get po- both people to sign you on do. that. There's the deal. And I'm thinking if you say let, let's let each other in versus taking things out on each other, the narcissist could do the big eye roll, couldn't, couldn't could. they? Yep, there's only one person that's coachable and teachable. You know, and mm-hmm. that's hard. And then that's when we set boundaries and that's when we let the person in about their own pain and none of that's easy. None yeah. of that none of that changes over overnight. But the changes happen the only time it's kind of tragic actually that the only time the changes happen in the severe cases is when the codependent is actually honest. Mm-hmm. So codependents they they can never they, they get to not avoid anymore. They get to just come forth. And then if you are that couple that's in the middle where you're both, you know, growing apart a little bit, golly, lead out with owning your own side of the street. And that's that third part. Lead out. I'm going to own my side of the street. So after every conflict, what I'm going to do is, yeah, I'm going to let my partner know I'm hurt. But I'm also going to say, and you know, and for those words, that's on me. Or wow. for for that 
for me icing you off for two days, that's on me. And, you know, when both people do that, it's a game changer. It is a game changer. But a lot of times we don't want to do that because we're too insecure and we never heard our parents say we were sorry, so there's no way in the world I'm going to say I'm sorry. Right. So that I can't start now. No. And then the second one in the middle is accepting each other's differences where we, you know, Romans fifteen seven says, accept one another as Christ accepts us in order to bring praise to God. We don't accept adultery, addiction, abuse. No, we don't accept those. Right. But we accept introversion, extroversion, starting, finishing, you know, things, you know, let, you know, just the idea of yeah. exploring possibilities or not. We need to get back to enjoying the journey. Absolutely. We get yeah. to do that. Yeah. Todd Mulliken's been my guest. His book is called Being Right Versus Being Liked, The Impact of Narcissism and Codependency on Couples and Families. Todd was nice enough to bring in eight copies of the book, so I can uh, send out eight. So all you have to do is uh, send me an email, bill at myfaithradio.com, and in the subject line, just put Being Right. And then make sure you put your name and address so we know where to send the books to the winners. Todd, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much, yeah, Phil. Yeah, really great to have you here. Really Todd, appreciate it. Todd Mulliken, his last name is spelled M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. You can go to toddmulliken.com to learn more about Todd. All right, that wraps up our time with Todd. Hour two is underway in a few minutes. Dr. Tim Walsh will be joining me talking about the born-again brain. I can hardly wait to find out about that. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.